everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, where we are talking today about the most beautiful place on earth. Mike, you've traveled a little bit. I know what are some places that stand out in your memory for their beauty? Well, I want to give a shout out to some place in Manitoba. Manitoba gets a bad rap sometimes, but there's a valley not too far from my house called Big Valley. And uh, it's our version of, say, Banff. It's uh, very beautiful with a lovely stream trickling down the middle of it. And I could spend, uh, I could spend days there. Another place that comes to mind is Perranporth in Cornwall, England. It is absolutely gorgeous, and I would love to see that place again. Uh, but what about you, Matthew? What places have caught your eye as you've journeyed through this world? Well, I thought you were going to say Peggy's Cove here in Nova Scotia, but I do love Peggy's Cove. I love the Rockies out west. Driving up into the mountains captivates me. The Grand Canyon was certainly impressive. The north coast of Ireland, a beach on the Gulf of Mexico. I'll take that almost any day. Newfoundland has a, a rugged beauty that is awesome. Those are all features of nature that we've described. There are also some impressive man-made structures and experiences. So you just mentioned about being in England. I thought you'd have something from there. Well, Esther and I once did the London Eye almost 20 years ago now, just as dusk was settling in. That was fantastic. You've probably toured some really cool old castles in the UK too, haven't you, Mike? Yes, I have. Uh, Warwick Castle is probably my favorite. We spent a couple of days there and saw the trebuchet in performance and so on. That was great. Uh, what about Buckingham Palace, Matthew? When you were in England, did you get a chance to visit there? We did. To be honest, it didn't really captivate me. It just seemed uh, a bit much in some ways to me. But speaking of palaces, there is another palace I've seen that far exceeds Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace pales in comparison to what John Bunyan calls the Palace Beautiful in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And what that Palace Beautiful represents in the allegory is the church. The House Beautiful is the church. Yeah, what an interesting depiction of the church. This is our second episode coming from Pilgrim's Progress, which we're going through now in the I Love to Read month of February. And in chapter three of uh, this classic by Bunyan, uh, Christian, the main character, he loses his burden at the cross, and then he arrives at the house beautiful. And Matthew, you've just pointed out that this beautiful palace represents the church. So what is Bunyan trying to convey to us about the church from this scene? Well, Bunyan is full of scripture analogies all through this scene, of course. Let me highlight four valuable biblical lessons that stand out to me about the church and that I think are good for us to hear today. The church and its intention, its protection, its communication, and its description. When Christian first arrives at the gates of the palace, he is told by Watchful the Porter that this house was built by the Lord of the Hill for the relief and security of pilgrims. That's very instructive. That's beautiful. The Lord of the Hill represents the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the head of the church. And you'll recall what Christ said in Matthew 18 when Scripture first introduces us to the concept of the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Yeah, so the church is Christ's idea. Uh, it's his creation. This isn't a, an organization devised by man, but it's a beautiful palace that Christ himself is building. Yes, he began to build it in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He's still building it today. He's adding people to it. But notice its intention as Bunyan sees it, for the relief and the security of pilgrims. Now, Bunyan is really thinking here particularly of a 
visible expression of the church, in other words, a local church. And he's teaching us that the Lord has designed the local church for our blessing. I come back again to something we've expressed in this podcast before. Not only should we be part of a local church, but we need the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not God's intention that we make our pilgrim journey through this world on our own. He gives us the fellowship of the church because this is how he intends for us to be cared for. Uh, Those two expressions are so precious to me. The church is for our relief and security. So, Matthew, how does a local church provide that? Well, let's take the second one first, our security. Fellowship with Christians is a great preservative to us, spiritually and morally. The world is not going to influence us towards God. The local church will. There is a sense of responsibility that comes with being part of a local church, admittedly, because you attach yourself to a testimony to the Lord Jesus. You are representing that name, but I'm saying that that's good for you. Responsibility is healthy for us. And while we are bombarded by the world's messages of consumerism and materialism and self-centered philosophies and temptations that appeal to the lust of the flesh, then we come to meet with the church and we're reminded of heavenly treasure, reminded of the appearing of our Lord Jesus, of the virtue of loving service to one another. That all contributes to preserving us. It's a gift of God's kindness to us to preserve us from the evil one. Proverbs 18.1 says, one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Don't isolate yourself. Church fellowship is for our security. And it's for our relief. The world is a spiritual wilderness. And the pilgrim needs a place he can come and be refreshed and cared for. And when Christian is brought into the house, he is seated and given a cool, refreshing drink. Ah, that's what our brothers and sisters can do for us, beloved. A cup of cold water in the Lord's name. That's why, that's why the Lord of the hill built the house beautiful. It's for your relief. So avail yourself of the blessing of local church fellowship. Be a part of it. Don't just be on the list. Give yourself to it. Because what we find so often in the things of God is the more we put in, the more benefit we ourselves will receive. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I think what happens a bit later in the chapter shows us one of the ways that we as pilgrims find relief and blessing. I'm thinking of the next morning when, when Christian is taken into the study and, and he sees the records of antiquity. And all that Christian sees there are the records of what the Lord of the hill had done and the records of what others have done in his service and, and prophecies of things that are certain to be accomplished. And all of this seems to remind us of the teaching of the scriptures that we receive in the church which again is, is for our relief, it's for our blessing. I'm thinking of Romans 15, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Amen. We need to be built up in our most holy faith. That's one of the responsibilities of the church. It's one of the blessings we receive from the local church. And the idea of being supported and equipped by the church. That comes up again the following day in Bunyan's chapter as Pilgrim is supplied with armor, supplied by the ruler of the hill to furnish every person for his progress to the promised land. Now, to be sure, it's the armor of God, not the armor of the church, I know. But I would suggest the church is going to help me in being spiritually armed for battle and to help me stand in the evil day. The evil day will come, beloved. You will be challenged and tempted and pressed and attacked. And the Lord has given us the fellowship of the local church for days just like that. But secondly, notice the protection of the church. When Christian 
arrives at the house, he is met at the gate by a porter who is named Watchful. Strikingly, Watchful does not whisk Christian right into the palace, but he's got some questions for Christian. Who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? Mike, what are we to make of this? Well, as you say, the porter is named Watchful, and uh, I think we're meant to think of the overseers that the Lord gives to the church, the overseers, the elders, and they're watchful, right? They're, they're protecting the sheep. And so when Paul calls the elders from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he reminds them of their duty to protect the church. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And, and Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Therefore, be on the alert, be watchful. Yep, there are plenty of savage wolves out there, and we want to protect the flock of God from them. So we certainly don't want the wolves in the local church. We don't want any unbelievers to be received into the fellowship of the church. Are they welcome at the meetings of the church? 100%. But the local church is to be a fellowship of those who acknowledge Christ as Lord. Now, of course, overseers, churches do make mistakes sometimes. No one's judgment is perfect. But we do want to take care that the people being received are genuine Christians. And finding out how they were saved or how they know they are saved, and why they want to be part of the church, that's part of that process. Now, in saying that, we're not saying that the only people to receive into your church are those who have a story like yours or who grew up in the same Christian environment as you. So while we give this warning about wolves, we shouldn't have this automatic, suspicious attitude towards Christians who come to our churches from other backgrounds. I recall listening to a recording of a Bible study, I think it was on the book of Ephesians, led by the late J.M. Davies, a Bible teacher of the last century of great spiritual might. And in regards to believers from other church traditions coming to us, he said something like this. He said, we should be looking for ways to make their fellowship with us work, not looking for ways to exclude them. Now, I think that's, that's a needed word for many, I think. We're also not trying to say that only perfect Christians are to be received. In the Pilgrim's Progress story, for example, a lady named Prudence asked Christian, do you not still have some of the old country in you? And Christian replies, yes to my humiliation. I still have my old inward carnal thoughts such as my countrymen as well as myself once delighted in, but now they are my grief and not my joy. So John Bunyan's Christian is a real Christian, like you and me. He's still got the flesh, he still struggles, and yet he has access into the house beautiful. Let me say something to some younger Christians right now who are not yet part of a local church, and maybe one of the things that is holding you back is you think you're not good enough. Well, we appreciate your consideration of the holiness of God's house. That's a noble thing. But I want to tell you something. Mike and I aren't part of local churches because of our lofty spirituality. We still have the flesh too, and it's no better in us than it is in you. We still struggle against sin. The church isn't a palace beautiful because the Christians there are perfect. They are not. And don't make the mistake of thinking that they are. And don't make the mistake of thinking that you need to be a perfect Christian to be part of the local church. The shepherds of the flock are there to care for you and to help you grow. Yeah. I just want to add to that, Matthew. Um, why, why is the church here seen as, as the palace beautiful? What is so beautiful about the church? Well, it's not that the people in it are perfectly composed and look great, but the beauty of the church is that it, it's precisely the place for Christians 
who want help in their struggles against sin, right? It's at the church where we hear about our Lord. It's at the church where we get teaching and strengthening to overcome sin. And it's in the church where we're reminded of the grace and forgiveness he has shown to us. So, so if you're a young Christian and you're thinking, oh, I can't, I can't involve myself in the church yet because I'm not good enough. Well, the beauty of the church is that it's a place just for people like you who who want to overcome sin in their life, but have a long, long ways to go. Amen. Thank you. So we've thought of the intention of the Palace Beautiful, the protection of the Palace Beautiful. Let's notice the communications within the Palace Beautiful. When a maid named Discretion meets Christian, she also wants to hear his story and about his experience thus far in his pilgrim journey. She's touched by what she hears, and she introduces him to others, and they appreciate hearing his testimony as well. It's a blessing, you know to speak to one another about our experiences with the Lord. Not just a conversion story, that, but also just sharing of our walk with the Lord since our conversion, accounts of his faithfulness to us. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you, do you know the stories of others with whom you fellowship? How they came to faith or how they have learned to trust God in their Christian walk? Have you asked some of them? One little thing we do here at North Street to contribute to that in a small way is when someone is baptized, male or female, young or old, we have them write out their testimony and we read it to the audience. So the church that is present hears something of their story. But it's good to make time for that in other ways too. But there's another needed lesson from the communications here at Palace Beautiful. They sit down to eat and Bunyan says their conversation at the table was about the Lord of the Hill. That's beautiful. They, they speak about what the Lord had done and how he had built the house and how he had achieved victory over the enemy by the loss of his own blood and that he'd done it out of pure love for the country and that he had turned beggars into princes and they sat and talked till late at night because they were enjoying this conversation. And Mike, I think we need to bring ourselves and all of our listeners a good challenge out of this. The subject of our conversations among one another is important. Ephesians 5 says, Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. Or a few verses earlier, actually, chapter 4. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. In other words, we grieve the Holy Spirit by poor conversation, by speaking ill of one another. On the other hand, something as simple as talking together can be a means of grace to one another as well. Which is it in your communications? James 4 says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. There is one lawgiver and judge. Who are you to judge your neighbor? So too easily our communications can slip into criticism of the Lord's people, or maybe we like to drop a little gossip into someone's ears. Evaluate the healthiness of your conversations together. Are you ministering grace? Do you ever talk about the Lord of the hill and how you've enjoyed him and his word today and, and the good that he is doing in you or in others? Yeah, these are good practical reminders, Matthew. Thank you. All of us, all we need to do is think about the power of our words. We, we see in this story of Christian how this experience in the palace beautiful really strengthens him and prepares him for the battle that he's about to face when he goes down into the valley of humiliation. Our words are powerful. And so we need to be very careful. We, we can use them to destroy and to tear down and to discourage. But conversely, they have the power to build up and, and ennoble and help someone along the way. And part of this is remembering who it is that we're speaking about and who it is we're speaking to. 
uh, in the words of Colossians 3, our brothers and sisters are God's chosen ones. They're holy and dearly loved. And uh, so they deserve a, a certain kind of speech from us that honors who they are as loved in God's sight. Very good. That's it. And I confess I need the reminder too, beloved. I recall hearing teaching a long time ago about the nature of our conversations around the table and otherwise in the presence of our children. And if our children hear us criticizing the Christians and criticizing the church, what do we expect they will think of the church? I don't mean that we pretend the church is perfect. It isn't. I've said that. But we don't need to broadcast our brother's faults either. It's very easy for us to allow personal rivalries and grievances and pride to unjustly influence others in a negative way. So what we need is to get a God-ordained heavenly perspective of the church, the Christians. So I'm coming into our final lesson now from the Palace Beautiful. It's intention, it's protection, it's communication, it's description. Bunyan says this house is beautiful. And so it is. So is the local church. And before you let out a gobsmacked guffaw, just listen to how God speaks of the church. He calls it a holy temple, a golden lampstand, the church of the living God. It's been purchased by his blood. He says the people who form a part of it are saints, brothers and sisters for whom Christ died, God's chosen ones who are dearly loved, you just quoted, Mike. He grants divine authority to the local church. It's like an outpost of heaven on the earth. It's beautiful. Now, I'm not naive, I don't think. I know people can get really ugly in the local church too. But at the same time, where else are we going to find Jesus Christ acknowledged as Lord? Where else do we proclaim the Lord's death? Where else is God held in such high esteem as in the local church? Well, Matthew, as you're um, pointing out how highly Bunyan speaks and how highly the Lord speaks of the church, I'm just reminded of what Christian sang when he woke up. So he spent the night there in the house beautiful. And uh, he slept in a large upper chamber, it says, whose window opened toward the rising sun. And the name of the chamber was Peace. And then when, when he woke up, he sang, Where am I now? Is this the love and care of Jesus for the men that pilgrims are? Thus to provide that I should be forgiven and dwell already the next door to heaven. That's how Bunyan saw the church as the next door to heaven. Excellent. So let's learn to think of God's house like that. And like David did in Psalm 26, 8. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. That's the real reason that it is beautiful, friends. And our fellowship in the local church helps us to anticipate a day of glory with all the church of the entire dispensation, when in the words of Ephesians 5, he will present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Think of the words of Revelation 20. We will be arrayed with God's glory, with a radiance like a precious jewel. That's the church. Amen. Thanks, Matthew, for reminding us of the precious place the church can have in our life. Of course, if you did the reading this past week, you'll know that upon leaving this place, Christian had to go down at that valley of humiliation and face a very formidable foe, and then into the valley of the shadow of, of death. and. Uh, and this is what the church exists for. It, it's, a, it's a place where strugglers come in and get strengthened so that they can go back out and face the battle, face the enemy again. Well, we hope you're enjoying this series on Pilgrim's Progress. Let me just remind you to keep reading along if you are reading along. And the passage for this next week that you're to read is where Christian meets up with his friend Faithful 
and you're to read all the way to Vanity Fair, where faithful's faith and Christian's faith will be sorely tried. We're going to talk more about Pilgrim's Progress next week. We hope you will join us then. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.